Art of Time Ensemble presents Dance to the Abyss at Harborfront Center Theatre, February 23rd to the 25th. Step back in time to the 1920s and immerse yourself in the decadent world of the Weimar Republic. Join us for a night of cabaret and jazz-inspired songs as we explore the music that once defined an era on the brink of catastrophe, featuring the work of Jewish composers Erwin Schulhoff, Misha Spolonsky, and musicians Wallace Holiday, Kevin Turcott, Andrew Barashko, Drew Jarek, and more. Tickets on sale now at harborfrontcenter.com. Use promo code CABARET25 to receive 25% off your tickets. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. And I'm Ilana Zakon. Join us as we explore Jewish arts, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we chat with artistic director of the Winnipeg Jewish Theater, Dan Petrenko, and actor-musician Seth Zosky, who will be performing in the upcoming show, Pain to Power, a Kanye West musical protest on March 9th and 10th in Winnipeg. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. So fun fact about Seth Zosky, we actually performed together in a show well not at the same time but in the same show I was part of this Purim spiel when I lived in Toronto for the Harold Green Jewish Theater and he was one of the other performers it was like a we did a little show where we did a reading of a modern day take on the Purim story and then we each sang a couple of songs I probably talked about this on Bonjour Chai at the time but Seth is an incredible singer. He, as you probably know from when you uh, were preparing for this episode, he's been on America's Got Talent. He's been on Canada's Got Talent. I think he won Canada's Got Talent. So super excited to reconnect with him. We've only met that one time. And I got a chance to meet Dan at the big conference that happened, the Jewish Futures Conference in Toronto. So I've actually met them both in person, which is rare for our podcast guests. That's very interesting. It's funny. I have a kind of similar story with Seth. I was doing a show in Victoria over the summer. And just as we closed, Seth was coming out with a show to perform. I think it was the last five years, uh, also in Victoria. Oh, so we, we, so we I missed worked each with other. him right before he did that because he was I telling me that he was preparing for the last five years, which is a exactly. Great, yeah, I thought it was such a good fit for him. Yeah. So same venue, but we, we completely missed each other. I was heading back to Calgary. He was just arriving in Victoria. So we never got to meet. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this, to this interview with these two people for sure. But in preparation for this interview, Alana, it got me thinking about something. Uh, it got me thinking about who are the artists that have let you down in the past? The first person that comes to mind is Roald Dahl because I love everything that he's written. I grew up on the books. Willy Wonka, Matilda, The Witches, all of my, like some of my favorite childhood books. And then it was only later on that I found out how he was extremely anti-Semitic. And I can't seem to cancel him for myself. And I think for me, part of it is that he's not alive. Um, So it's easy for me to still appreciate his work knowing that like me owning the books that I bought when from Scholastics in grade one is not contributing to him specifically though I think it might be his family um, hopefully they've done some reparations but I I, I feel like that's a, it, it it brings up that hard question of can you still appreciate the art and and separate it from the artist do you have someone like that for you David yeah so I was thinking about it too and I the first person I think I could think of is Mel Gibson, right? Obviously, years ago, Mel got drunk, was it 
saying a bunch of anti-Semitic things. And, you know, Braveheart was always a favorite movie of mine. So I was like, ooh, if it's back on streaming, do I watch it? He's do still I alive. Mel Gibson is still very much alive. I know. Though, I mean, you watching his movie isn't giving him more money. That's not how the industry works, as we both know. But, um, yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know. I have a hard time with Mel Gibson. I, I have a very difficult time with Mel Gibson. I know Josh Molina wrote an article saying cancel Mel Gibson in the Atlantic yeah. a few years ago. And I was like, yes, like, I'd like to cancel the person. Do I cancel all his movies? I don't know. But even bringing it forward to today in the past few months, there's bunch of people that I was like, oh my God, I feel icky to support them now. Like John Cusack, who had a big meme that was since deleted with a large uh, Star of David on its wrist, oppressing a group of people. And then he commented underneath saying, follow the money. Uh, he later deleted it and apologized. But there's people like Cusack, there's people like Susan Sarandon, you know, who yeah. have come out in the past few months being highly critical of the, of the Jewish or Zionist community. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, Alana, like more yeah. than anyone else, it's the people within my arts community that have been posting very questionable, highly questionable, definitely anti-Israel things, possibly following, following, falling into like an anti-Semitic spiel that I was like, mm -hmm. oh God, what do I do with these people that I have to encounter on, that I see every couple of months? Right. That's, like that's now the it's more not, challenging thing. It's not even necessarily celebrities anymore. I mean, we work in this industry too, so sometimes it's hard to separate like famous people from, you know, people who haven't quite made it to that level of success yet because we're all working in the same field. That 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 really is a, a tough one. How, are you a hip hop fan, David? No, I am not. I mean, I pretended to be a hip hop fan when I was like 15 and 16 listening to like Nas. And I was just to like, oh, in. this to fit in. Yeah. Oh, this is what the cool kids are listening at, <laughs> uh, at Solomon Schechter or Bialik. Right. So oh I'm just going to follow along suit. So it's like I had two rap CDs growing up. Um, oh I listened to it on repeat. So I, I think I could still sing the lyrics to this day. But other than that, no, I fell more into the like 70s folk music, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen. That, that That's that's my heart. Right. Dad vibes. That total dad vibes. <laughs> and you? I'm not, I'm not much of a hip hop listener myself. Um, and, and it was really interesting. I got a chance to hear a bit from Seth and Dan. Um, on a call that we were all on recently and Dan himself is not a hip hop person. So for him, that was a bit of a learning curve as well. Um, very excited about this interview. So let's take a listen. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work, but they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pried, or bashed in, so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind. And protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass, an absolutely unbreakable clear covering. Call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation. That's M-E-T-A-L-E-X security.com. Remember, prevention is always better than the cure. Seth and Dan, welcome to Culturally Jewish. Glad to be here. Thank yeah, you for having glad us. we can finally get you on the show. So, Seth, can you give us a brief description of the play and why it's called A Musical Protest? It's a show using the music of Kanye West, as you can probably see in the description. Um, it's a show about falling in love with an artist, getting your heart broken, having him 
turn your back on 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 your community uh, and then figuring out where to go from there figuring out if you can separate um the the art from the artist uh and then it's also about uh cross cross-cultural relationships and that the world is a better place when those of different cultures really see each other for who they are. So for those um, who are listening who aren't familiar with the description of your show, you're doing the show with your friend who's black, right? Can you give us a little bit more on um, the two of you and and what your story is? Yeah, so uh, CJ uh, is from Ottawa and he he and I met in, in at Sheridan College in first year. We had lots of lots of things in common, uh, and the biggest one was that we both love hip hop music. We bonded straight away over that, and we've been best friends ever since. And then when all this started, uh, all the headlines started coming out about Kanye, and Dan approached me uh, about doing a cabaret style show. We were trying to figure out. <laughs> what to do with that. And usually people use the music of an artist. Uh, and we had this crazy idea. And as soon as we went into the hip hop lane, I I thought of CJ. So Seth, can you remind us of some of the maybe highly charged things Kanye has said in the past few years, particularly against the Jewish community? Yeah, he essentially praised Hitler, saying that saying that he saw good things in Hitler. And that Hitler was up to something. Uh, up to something in a very positive light, as many people probably have said, oh, you know, he was great for the economy or something like that. And, and then there was the whole like death con to Jews. Thing, yes. Right? And then he's he's tweeted a bunch. Uh, and there was a I'm going to go death con three on the on the Jewish people. There's been lots of different short videos. I've seen TikToks, things like that of him, of him talking negatively like oh, it was a Jewish doctor. That's why I got misdiagnosed. There's a tweet like that. Things like Jewish people control the media. And Dan, you didn't know so much about Kanye or hip hop music before working on the show. So what did you learn to appreciate about the genre, if at all? And are you a hip hop fan now? Well, I wasn't a hip hop fan to begin with at all. Uh, I maybe knew one or two Kanye songs and they're the ones that you know, featured Katy Perry or Rihanna, and that's why I knew them, not because they had Kanye on them. Yeah. Uh, but now I feel like I've really gotten to know the music, and I think it's a it's a really strange time for a Jewish person to start loving Kanye, and I think that I've, <laughs> I've gone on that journey a bit in the last few months. Um, but uh, I've really, you know, we've, we've had a lot of discussions through the process about uh, why Seth and CJ fell in love with this music in the first place because this wasn't the music that was playing in their homes. Um, you know, Seth's mom was playing Joni Mitchell at home and CJ's mom was, was, uh, was blasting Haitian cultural music. And um, uh, we, I, I was really interested in how this, how Kanye made it into mm. Seth's and CJ's lives. And as we started talking about um, the ingenuity behind the music and uh how he was, you know, the first to uh, use choral and and opera sounds in hip hop, and how he was the first to uh, really popularize the the auto tune and the the eight hundred eight drum machine in uh, in hip hop music. I, I started to get it, even though the story this is not my story at all that we're telling. I feel I feel like I've gone on a journey a bit as well, for sure. 
I mean, Joni, Joni Mitchell was definitely blasting at my house from my mom's, um, yeah. from my mom's record player too. Seth, I, I do want to know, like, what was it about the music that you connected with originally? And then how did you feel as you started hearing these things coming out of Kanye's mouth? So I started drumming when I was five years old. The music that I was playing in my house was mostly rock and things like Joni Mitchell, the Indigo Girls, and the it was something about the the the, the rhythm and the, the the whole vibe that just fueled kind of my my natural internal rhythm, uh, and that made me initially fall in love with that kind of music, and then just just the way he he had shifted hip hop as we know it from something that was gangster rap talking about cars and big chains and big planes and things like that um, into into something that is is much more like he, he's talking about fu- the future and he's talking about things that people can connect to a lot more. And then, of course, the use of gospel music and the use of, of as Dan said, the 808 drum machine, which he essentially invented in my view he was the first person to do that and now it's become a staple in in, in hip-hop music everyone uses 808s what do i, I don't um, even know what that is what is that it's basically a digital drum machine um that now has been taken and there's like a million different sounds from it but it's it's it mixes bass and drum into and it's like a hit it's like a <laughs> It's like if someone goes, boom. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a sound that you can create with, you know, with a drum kit. In terms of how you felt, let's say when he was coming out with these very outlandish statements, how did it personally feel for you as, as a Jew? It was heart, it was heartbreaking. It was, I've, I've had years and years and years of listening to his music and know the words and play it all the time and he's always been in my top five artists and you wear his shoes right and i wear his shoes all the shoes um it's something that got very very confusing it it was more my reaction was more of a like why like come on man so give me a sense of the timeline of this so you two had this chat you decided you were going to make a cabaret thing you brought in your friend and then i know tracy aaron smith who we've had on our show before also was helping create it um with you two um and you were doing it long distance how, how did we get from there to here what was that process like yeah i think last uh last winter when shortly after the uh kanye's defcon 3 on jews tweet came out and um uh, Adidas dropped Kanye and all these brands started dropping him uh, for his anti-Semitic uh, uh, comments and rhetoric that he was spewing. Um, shortly after that, we got together and came up with the idea. Um, I knew that Seth and CJ had this um, connection with Kanye that, that you know, he, he was a big inspiration for them. And uh, it was a, a topic of conversation that we were we were having often last winter um and so we started working on it uh and to help us bring the stories to life we brought the best uh the best story writer i know uh tracy erin smith uh she came on the project and uh um and we the four of us over zoom got a first draft written last spring um, we kept editing it through the summer, 
having never met in person because uh, I was in Winnipeg most of the time. Seth was between Toronto and LA and CJ was in Toronto and Tracy was in Nova Scotia. So uh, we were battling different time zones and, and really uh, fi- uh, fighting to make time to, 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 uh, to come up with a draft and a second draft and a third draft. And eventually in, we all got together uh, in Toronto in September for a two week workshop where we uh, sat behind, t- sat around a table and uh, um, did some more brainstorming and tried things out and, and threw some things uh, out of the script and, and really narrowed it down to, um, to a draft that we were happier with going into rehearsals for a full production. And so now we're here. Now we are, today we are in Vancouver uh, because CJ is rehe- uh, CJ is performing in a show at Arts Club. So in the evening, CJ per- is performing his show, and in the mornings, we are rehearsing Paint to Power, which premieres next month. So I was going to ask about the Zoom. Like, how did it all work? I know many times now actors can audition for Zo- you know through Zoom and everything like that, but how- were there logistical nightmares in a sense of sort of saying, we're not in the same room here. How do we put together this type of musical i think if we tried to come up with choreography on zoom that would have been a bit of a nightmare we left those things to to when we could meet in person it was really the writing that we focused on when uh when we met on zoom and i thought that was pretty doable yeah yeah and in terms of the music a lot of things that we're doing are taking his like bass instrumentals or the stems of that. And then I'm kind of rearranging it to either elevate that or make it more theatrical. And so in terms of that, we just had the conversations and then I did it. Cause I've had, to, I've had to do a musical show on zoom and it doesn't oh, no. work. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is very challenging to come in key and, and at the right moment. Oh, oh, so, oh yes. Oh when God. we were, that's bringing me back when we were working on the script and when we got to the songs, I think we just spoke the lyrics exactly. and said, we'll leave the singing to yeah. when we meet a person. Now, Seth, uh, you and your co-star CJ capital, um, your relationship, you were both friends, but did you have any agreements or disagreements on what Kanye was saying as he was coming out with these things? Did you find, oh, you said, you know, this is anti-Semitic, this is incredibly hurtful. Did CJ have a difference of opinion on these things? And how did you, how did you address them together? I would say CJ has always been very understanding and what one would call a jally. <laughs> a jally. I like that. <laughs> um we never had a disagreement when it came to that. I know since October 7th, there's maybe, I would say, more friction between the Black community and the Jewish community. Has that been a conversation at all between the both of you um, moving forward? Yeah, I, I've noticed it with many other many other friends, but CJ seems to um, always take my side. Kanye was diagnosed with bipolar in 2016. And my understanding is he still refuses any type of treatment. Maybe he's going private. Maybe he's not talking to the media about it or anything like that. We just don't know. Does mental health play any role in this show? Absolutely. Yep. We talk about mental health in the show uh, quite a bit. Uh, And uh, Kanye was diagnosed in 2016 with bipolar disorder and refuses to be medicated because he he has stated multiple times publicly that he was misdiagnosed because he was uh, looked after by a Jewish doctor. But yes, uh, I think it's evident to to most people that there's there's uh, that mentally Kanye is not fully there. 
but but something that we really emphasize in the show is that bipolar disorder has a lot of symptoms, but anti-Semitism and anti-Blackness is not one of them. Mm. I'm a clapping along. I don't know if the mic's going to pick <laughs> that up, but yes. <laughs> and and so what bipolar disorder, and we looked into this and we, we listened to interviews by some of the doctors that, that um, have treated Kanye in the past. Um, bipolar disorder can cause heightened feelings of something that you're already mm-hmm. harboring inside, but it can't uh, it can't make you an anti-Semite. And then we talk about, you know, there are people all around us that have these feelings and that are spewing them out, um, whether they have mental conditions or not. But when you have an individual standing on Young and Dundas Street in Toronto, yelling similar things into, into, into the world, they don't make as much of an impact as somebody with more yeah. followers uh, on Twitter than Hitler's army in the Holocaust, in, in the German army in, in World War II. Like right now, I mean, everything's heightened. We're living in a world of extremes with everything going on since the war. I feel like this is all permeating around us. So now it just makes it even harder when this person has so much um, power and a huge following. It's going to like everyone's already shaken up and everyone's already in extremes. And I mean, it's it's a really difficult time to be a Jewish theater artist right now. And I know you've been receiving a lot of anti-Semitic comments on the trailer for your show. Um, how do you cope with that? We we don't engage. And um, for me, as as uh, an artistic leader that runs a Jewish theater, I remind myself that the number one thing that we have to think about right now is the safety of our artists and our audience. So. Uh, we have upped the security uh, presence at all our performances. Uh, unfortunately, that's the reality we're living. But uh, in terms of responding or not responding to these comments, we, we decided not to engage. And if there is something that is really that really crosses the line, we might delete the comment. But for the most part, the philosophy is don't engage and any publicity is good publicity, especially for a show as controversial as this. Now, you both decided to go to Israel together and you were both in Israel on October 7th. Um, Seth, maybe you want to talk about how maybe this trip came about and did your experiences at all while you were there for the brief time that you were there inform the show, uh, which I know you were already working on before, but what was that experience like? You were there. The war broke out, and then I think what you were on the last flight out to Greece. You got out just as everything was falling apart, right? That's correct. Yeah. So um, early in the process of this show, Dan and I decided we wanted to go to Israel because uh, I'd never been before, and Dan Dan was born there, lived there for eight years. Uh, and we just wanted to experience it together. Uh, he was very excited to bring me. And I was definitely looking forward to experiencing that uh, my, my culture in a new way. But yeah, we were planning on staying for 12 days. And on the fourth or fifth day, I woke up to, to uh, bomb sirens at 6 a.m. And I went into Dan's, Dan's room and I was like, what is... What is that? And he was like, oh, it's just wind. Like, cause it was so in the distance. He was like, it sounds like wind. I was like, okay. So we went back to bed and then, and then maybe 20, 30 minutes later, I woke up again and it was 
louder and closer. And I walk into dad's room and he's already on the phone with his dad. And he's like, those are bomb sirens. And I then immediately I'm like, excuse me, what, what do you mean? We, 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 we've realized we were glued to the news and we realized that we should get out. So we went to the airport and I was sitting on the floor, looking up as a departure screen, trying to book any flight. We probably booked five flights, which all got canceled. We were able to book on a flight that was at like 1130 at night. So we went back to uh, where we were staying and to the bomb shelter there and just were glued to the news. And then we went back to the airport. When we got there was probably the, the scariest thing that's ever happened in my life. The bomb sirens went off and there were hundreds of people all all rushing to the bomb shelter, yelling, leave your bags, your life is more important. Grab on to your loved ones and just run in. And as that was happening, there were missiles being shot right above us because we found out later that the, that the airport was a big target. But it's very, thankfully, it's um, guarded. By it's very, very much guarded by the Iron Dome. <laughs> um, and... Then we were able to get on the plane and I remember sitting on that plane and uh, I didn't know if like a, like a missile was going to shoot the plane into the sky. I know, and I'm, I'm already a nervous flyer. So the uh, a combo of that was um, not so good. But now I'm good. I mean, turbulence, missiles, you know. You're like, I can handle anything now. Exactly. Oh my gosh, that is so traumatizing. And, and, and I know yeah. that, Seth, I know for you, this was this was a turning point in understanding anti-Semitism as someone who grew up in Canada not having to deal with a bomb going off right over your head. How do you feel like you're, you're going to be able to contribute to the ongoing conversations about anti-Semitism and accountability in the arts world after having an experience like that? Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. I, I had only experienced like minor anti-Semitism and passing where, you know, someone maybe maybe didn't mean it and you could have a conversation. This was like, when I think back on it, it's like, oh my goodness, the the just the sheer hate for for who we are. And this is just because we're Jewish. People want to kill. And just the... The experience of that uh, is, is just gives me a totally different perspective on it. Yeah, now now every time I hear or see something that is has to do with anti-Semitism, I feel much closer to it. And, and, and when this happened on October 7th, the arts artistic community, especially the theater community, did not really respond. Um, and I made that very much known on my uh on my instagram calling out theater companies because it was ridiculous so i do want to talk about that dan um we want to talk about your petition that you signed when you came back to canada you you wrote a letter signed by many jewish canadian theater artists to sort of speak out on the silence that seth was referring to after october 7th where do things stand now with that petition? Before I even returned to Canada, I, I wrote a um, an open letter to the Professional Association of Canadian Theatres, PACT, calling them out for uh, 
staying silent in the wake of October 7th, in the wake of the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, to after which we had several, I had a few conversations with their, um, with their leadership, and they decided that they, uh, their board decided that they do not comment on international events. And for the record, I will add that yes, they do. Uh, they were one of the first to post a black square in the wake of, 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 in, in June 2020, you know, and that was not a Canadian exclusive event. It, it does seem like a lot of theater companies and a lot of theater organizations in the country um, practice selective activism. And I think we all learned that in, in after October 7th. In terms of the letter that I was drafting with a few colleagues and getting Jewish artists, we were getting signatures from Jewish artists around the country, that letter was actually never sent. And there was a lot of back and forth conversation with 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 dozens of artists, but the the easy answer or or, or not so easy answer is that uh, trying to get multiple Jews to agree on how to how to phrase a letter <laughs> was very impossible. You need three letters. <laughs> um, so so that letter was never actually oh, sent wow. out or published, although i'm I'm sure it circulated. Um, and um, we decided that rather than sending out a letter, we are pursuing activism in in other ways. Okay, and so so with this show, Dan, what what are you hoping to achieve within the community out there in Winnipeg, but also within the arts community? With all of that in mind, I'm hoping that this show gets to. Um, we're working on getting this show out to places outside of Winnipeg as well, and I think that it, like David mentioned earlier on, uh, there are. A lot of increased tensions between communities right now, between the Jewish community and the Black community, between the Jewish community and and the LGBTQ community. Um, in the wake of October seventh, there are a lot of tensions there, and this show really does the job in 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 bridging those tensions and saying uh, we need to see each other for who we are as whole human beings be- between cultures, uh, between religions, between identities. I think I, that's what I'm hoping to get across. We definitely need that right now. Now, sure. I would say before we let you go, Dan, you mentioned that you weren't a fan of Kanye's music before, but now you sort of have become a bit of a fan. So I, I do have to know, you know, how does one go about reclaiming canceled art? Should one even try? I, I was not connected to Kanye at all, but something that I'm, I am connected to is classical music. My grandmother is a, was a concert pianist, and so classical music was always playing in my house, and it was a topic of conversation. And somebody I always come back to through this process is Richard Wagner. His music has been banned in in Israel. Uh, I think only recently in the last decade or so, they've started playing Wagner in Israel. But because of Wagner's connection to the Nazis' extermination of Jews and his own anti-Semitism, Israel, Israelis decided that they don't want Wagner played in you know, the symphony orchestra or even on, on the radio or, or in homes. So... Uh, I don't know if the show offers an answer of whether we should be able to separate the art from the artist. I think we raise a lot of questions, but ultimately it comes down to all of us as individuals. Mm. Because I I had this, I, I love Wagner's operas, but I recognize the politics that come with listening and enjoying his music. And I think for Seth and CJ, mm. that's Kanye. And Seth, how about you? How do you go about um, being able to still wear Kanye shoes or listen to his music? I know in the show you actually 
have his music, but you layer on Jewish and Creole prayers and you have klezmer and you've been you found a way to keep the music in, which some people might say, why are you highlighting him? So how do how do you rectify that? Where are you at with it right now? Yeah. In terms of the show, you know, just a little quick quote from the show. A a Haitian and a Jew walk into a theater. They're brothers. They're proud. And they're about to use Kanye's music to tell their stories. Now, wouldn't he hate that? So it's using his music, knowing that he probably wouldn't be such a fan of this show. And so it's it's taking back that music that we love. And especially as mm-hmm. a performer, I've never, I, I've had the opportunity of singing a Kanye song live on stage once when I was like 10 years old. Let me tell that story. But the opportunity to sing that music I love and perform it on stages, hopefully across Canada, that, where I am with it is that I, we can make it ours. We can put our spin on it. We can take our what, what we know as performers and music lovers and give that to the music. In terms of listening to it, <laughs> I, I'm very aware when Kanye plays now. I obviously wasn't before. But I'll be in a bar. I, I was. I've been in many bars in Toronto where Stronger will come on. Or I, I was actually in a bar in Toronto where they had a full Kanye West playlist going, and no one, no one turns an eye. No one notices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very interesting to me. Yeah, which which is sort of um, you know he released a new album a few days ago. Uh, and on one of his songs, the the chorus, the lyrics in the, in the chorus are crazy, bipolar, anti-Semite, and I'm still the king. So, you know, he's really capitalizing. He's aware. Yeah, yeah he's self-aware. He's, cap- <laughs> he's capitalizing on it. And and society seems to go with that, that yes, you can, you can be an anti-Semite and we're still going to play you in the bars. We're still going to play your music at fitness studios. And, and so... Our show is saying, well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, and if we are still playing it, how do we do it with intention and critically? I hope mm-hmm. you sent Kanye a ticket to your show. I, I, I don't know if you would come to Winnipeg. It's a bit cold. <laughs> that, that might be the biggest struggle in, in That's winter. That's the only reason. That's I the I want to say, uh, Dan and Seth, thank you both so much for coming on today. The show is Pain to Power, a Kanye West musical protest happening in Winnipeg on March 9th and 10th. Thank you very much. So, David, what's on your radar for Arts in Canada? So, coming up in Calgary on February 25th at the Paperny Family JCC, there's going to be an inspirational stand-up comedy show featuring Ashley Blaker, who's going to share the challenges and joys of parenting children with special needs and inspire all of us to make us all feel a bit, quote, normal schmormal. That is the uh, that is the tagline of the show. You just need to register in advance if you want to check out inspirational comedy. Cool. And Elano, what's happening over in your world? Um, all of mine are Montreal based today. Um, while while we're on comedy, I will shout out an event happening this weekend. So if you're in Montreal on Sunday, February 18th, there's an event uh, called Stand Up for Israel Jewish Comedy Fest and fundraiser for Zaka, which also features Ashley Blaker, um, as well as um, a bunch of other um, 
as well as a bunch of other comedians. Uh, so I'm going to be going to that. So if you come to the event, come say hi and find me. Um, there's also a couple of other really awesome things happening in March. So you can mark your calendars for March the 2nd. The exhibit Back River by Sonia Bazaar that I mentioned a few episodes ago that highlights um, the Back River Cemetery is going to be open for a Nuit Blanche night at the museum. So on March 2nd at 7 p.m., you can come check uh, check out the exhibit after hours and there's going to be live music. There's going to be a bar. Um, it's free entry. It's a it's a cash bar, quote unquote, card bar. So you get a chance to see the museum and also meet some people and schmooze and have a drink. So hopefully i uh, going to check that one out as well. Anything else happening on your end, David? Yes. In Toronto, February 23rd to the 25th, the Koffler Center will present at the Harperfront Theatre. It's called Dance to the Abyss. Music from the Vimer, Vimer, Elena, what do you say? Vimer, Vimer? Our producer, Michael, just came on right now the chat and said Weimar Republic. So we're going to go with that, Alana. Uh, featuring Martha Burns, John Millards, Patricia O'Callaghan. And this program features music celebrating the 1920s that were later dismissed as degenerate by the Third Reich. So they're going to include excerpts from, let's say, the Three Penny Opera by Kurt Weill and music from Misha Spolensky and Erwin Shulkoff. You keep giving me perfect segues because my last shout out is also a musical event. Ooh, it's, it's almost like we planned launch. this, but we didn't. We did not. It's a book launch and musical performance at the Jewish Museum of Montreal on March 10th. Experience an enchanting evening of literature and music. Immerse yourself in the lively ambiance of St. Laurent Boulevard as we celebrate the launch of Jeremiah Lockwood and Jessica Rhoda's latest books on Hasidic music. So the event is going to feature musical performances by Cantor Yoel Cohen, and it's going to be moderated by Miranda Crowdis, director of the Institute for Canadian Jewish Studies. And we're going to learn a bit about the artistic world of Hasidic and Litvish Yeshivish Jews in North America today. So it looks like lots of happening across the country. It feels like we're finally start. I mean, other than the first event that I shouted out, which is a very good cause. Uh, it seems like we're finally moving away from only things about the war, which I think is good. I think we need other distractions so that we as a community stay in good spirits. All right, Alana, thank you very much. And great chatting with you as always. And I look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. You too. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.